Hey, it's Jared. So one of the most rewarding experiences I think anyone who's even remotely engaged in politics can have is working on a political campaign. And while 2020 and COVID really changed what political campaigns look like, a traditional grassroots campaign is one of the most interesting experiences I've ever had. And I would highly recommend it to anyone from call banking to canvassing to attending community events to eating half warm pizza at a makeshift office. It's a really unique experience because for just nine months tops, really, you and a bunch of people are getting really close together and united around this goal of getting the candidate elected. And I'm mainly talking about local campaigns. Obviously, volunteering on national campaigns is an amazing experience in its own right, but really focusing on down ballots, state or local races, is one of the most interesting ways to enter politics. One thing, though, that I think a lot of people, on the left at least, have started to take note of is that being a progressive candidate isn't easy, but it can be done. The Netflix documentary, Knock Down the House, documented a lot of progressive candidates, at least running on the federal level. But the same is true for local candidates, which is that you're often fighting this uphill battle against the political establishment that be, and trying to just rely on the power of people and their opinions to carry you to victory. And obviously, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has become the poster of what this movement looks like. But across the nation, there are young progressive people fighting this exact same situation time and time again. So I'd recommend watching that documentary. But today, we're going to focus really in on what the nitty gritty of running a progressive campaign against the establishment looks like. And to do that, I sit down with the host of the Youth Vote, Isaac Goff Mitchell. I highly recommend checking out his show. It'll be linked below. And Isaac, before running a podcast about progressive politics, ran progressive campaigns specifically for young people and now talks to a lot of those people about lessons learned and ways to move forward. And I'm going to go to a limb here and say a lot of this audience is young people who skew toward progressive ideologies. So I really think this episode is kind of a guide for you if you want to enter politics, if you want to run for local office. I think it's a lot of useful tips in here. So while this isn't really tackling one issue in specific, we talk about the general idea of campaigns. It's really a helpful step-by-step guide as to how to do progressive campaigns. So if you're interested, stay tuned. Hi, Isaac. Hi, Jared. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing okay. I'm excited to talk with you today. Yes, same here. I'm excited to hop back into it. I know for a lot of our listeners, we've been gone for the past two weeks or so, but I think this conversation is going to be a really great one to kick it back off. But before getting into all the nitty gritty around politics and the progressive movement within the Democratic Party, because there's a lot there, if you could explain who you are and why you're here on Contested. First, thanks for having me on the show. And I am Isaac Goff Mitchell. My podcast that I run is called The Youth Vote. And we focus in on young people who are doing impressive things in politics. So it's people who ran for office and won or lost. It doesn't really make much of a difference to us as far as if we're going to talk to them. We also speak with activists and uh, campaign workers and individuals that work 
in the government. So it's been really cool to kind of talk with all of these different young progressives throughout the last year of my life. And before then, I worked for a few years doing campaign consulting and running political campaigns in Ohio and in Indiana. And I'm sure eventually I'll kind of get back into that a little bit. But that's just kind of the basis of, of my knowledge is I've had the privilege of interviewing a bunch of young people who have run as young progressives or are involved with the progressive movement. And I've also had hands-on experience running other people's campaigns. Yeah. And I, I kind of agree with you as someone who at least has worked on one campaign. Once you're gone, you kind of just want to get right back into it. And it's always really interesting to kind of keep up with with what's going on. And I think for a lot of people, especially people I've talked to my age or really any age, the nitty gritty of a campaign is usually kind of under wraps, right? A lot of times, if you're just kind of a voter in any given district, you'll get all this literature about who's running for what, and then you get to the ballot box and some of these down ballot races, you're like, what's going on? And, and you're kind of just confused. So if you could run through kind of what you've observed from talking to young progressives and working on campaigns, what comprises a political campaign in the modern day for both progressives and beyond? Yeah. So, and just a disclaimer, the campaigns I've worked on, the highest level was Congress. And then the lowest is like, we've done like township trustee, city council, that kind of stuff. So it's really local and state level mostly, but um, I did get the privilege of working on a Congress campaign. So everything I'm saying is mostly about those state and local down ballot races. It might be different when you're talking about statewide or federal offices. That being said, really what comprises a campaign today at a local or state level is going to be a lot of kind of direct voter outreach. So that's going to be where you're knocking on people's doors or you're sending mail to someone's house. So that's kind of the, the most campaigny campaign thing that you can do today. Additionally, though, there's a lot of social media and internet aspect to campaigning, especially for the progressive left. So if you're running as a young person, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit later, but if you're running as a young person, you're not going to have a bunch of rich friends who are well-established <laughs> and making a lot of money. If you're in your fifties, you might have people who are friends of yours that are getting close to retirement and they have a lot of money they could throw around and help you out. So as a young person, you really, really rely on the internet in order to, to reach audiences. And as much as they are kind of a corrupt, not necessarily great for democracy company, Facebook is actually great as a tool for young progressives to reach individuals that are kind of outside of their circle. But again, I'm sure we'll get into this later, but those are kind of like the, the main focuses when you look at like a modern campaign. There's like your digital and then your physical aspects. Yeah, and I think you make a good point, which is that a lot of the time, at least the campaigns that kind of the inner workings are covered, which are like these large presidential kind of campaigns that everyone's paying attention to. There's a ton of money going around and there's videos of people on buses and planes going all over the state. And I think it's important to note that most campaigns are not like that at all. Most are really comprised of these small community events where you're just going out and either handing out some sort of like small flyer or kind of doing some sort of social media, get out the vote style push. And kind of with that in mind, if someone did want to run for a lower office and you're kind of the one giving this young progressive or just young person advice in general, you know, what would be kind of your first clue to them or first recommendation to hop into political office? 
Yeah. So I actually have four things. I know you said what is like the first, but I, I have, I have four. <laughs> no, well, here, four is better than one. <laughs> right. So, and I'll be, I'll try and kind of summarize it down. And then if there's anything you want me to go into more detail on, I can, but really there's, there's four main things. I think that you as a young person, you're in your teens, you're in your twenties and you decide you're going to run for office. Here are the things you need to be aware of. So the first is that you have to be honest about who you are. And what I mean by that, well, it sounds very cliche is Nobody gets elected, especially as a young progressive, by lying about their identity or lying about the stances that you support. So mm. there's a lot of like mythology in right wing kind of discussion circles where they say, oh, this person's a secret progressive. Like if you elect them, they're actually a socialist. And really, that doesn't happen. So kind of if you are a socialist, say you're a socialist. If you are just a, a democratic socialist or if you're somebody who's just a left leaning Democrat, say that's who you are and be very honest about those policies you support because voters are smart and they'll be able to tell if you're lying. Additionally, the second thing is you're going to have to work your ass off. And that again, <laughs> it sounds like a cliche, but if you are a rich older person, you really don't have to work hard to run for Congress or run for city council or run for mayor. You can just dump money into those races and then your voice and your name is all over the radio and the TV and billboards, et cetera. If you're 22 and you decide you're going to run for school board, you probably can't afford television ads. So to make up for that, you have to spend every single weekend and multiple evenings a week knocking on people's doors. Every single parade, you should be in it. Every single fish fry at the Catholic churches in your community, you should be attending. So mm -hmm. all those different things are where you can really work your ass off and work harder than those kind of establishment folks who you'll likely be going against. For three and four, a lot quicker, I promise. Three is just be creative. And a great example I have of this is I had the privilege of working for a young guy, Anton Krieger, in a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio. He was 19 running for his city council. He ended up losing by three votes, which was a big bummer, the closest race I've ever been a part of. But he had a great idea called the Krieger Report, which was a literal newspaper that we made, like an actual newspaper. <laughs> that we dropped off at every single registered voter's house in North Royalton, Ohio, where he was running. So I had never heard of this. No one had ever heard of this. All of us on the campaign were like, what the heck is this idea? But it ended up being so positively received that we can attribute that to a lot of his success as a young person. People kind of saw, oh, look, maybe if we bring a young person into office, we'll get that creativity and we'll get those ideas. And then the last thing is the boring stuff, which is the fourth thing is you, you, you have to raise money. So you cannot run a campaign for free. If you have savings, I think you're going to need to dip into that a little bit to help out your campaign. But additionally, you're going to have to do some online fundraising. So that's going to be like crowdsourcing money through Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, et cetera. But also in a non-COVID reality, you need to do some in-person fundraising. So try to host events, make the food yourself to save money, hosted at your house or at a friend's backyard or at a church or, or a community group that will host you and kind of make sure your cost for the event is the lowest it can be and invite as many folks as you can so that they can one hear about you and two give you that money that you can continue to run your campaign so sorry for the super long-winded answer but i really think that like those four things are universally applied to every every young progressives campaign those four things will come into play yeah, I think that's really important to note. And there was a lot there. One thing that I think caught my eye, and this is something I think a lot of 
young people, whether they ran campaigns in youth and government for fake or are actually running campaigns in real life, is that being a young person, you're straddling this line between being taken seriously while also seeming like this fresh voice. And it's, I think this is no better than a 19 year old running for something like city council, right? A lot of times they're gonna be like, who is this guy? You know, why do we favor this kind of random progressive 19 year old? But then you come out with something that gives you some reputability and creativity like a homemade newspaper. And I think that's kind of a good encapsulation of what young people need to do if they wanna get past that line of, oh, you're just cute rather than, oh, we're gonna take this seriously. Yeah, and it's it's really a struggle for a lot of young people that they fight within their own head, which is they when they're thinking about running, they think, oh my God, is anyone going to take me seriously? And I, for one, for example, I'm 22, but I look like I'm maybe 18, 19-ish. So it's one of those things where you run for office and people are like, oh, can you even vote? It's, it's really disheartening. You feel like you look too young and you might act too young. So what I would say to that is... If you go in it and you are more knowledgeable than your opponents because you did research and you are working harder than your opponents, people will just realize that you're clearly a good candidate and they can overlook or even accept your age as like a positive thing. Like, oh, perhaps the reason I haven't had anybody ever knock on my door is because my city council member is 85 years old. And that's not to say there's anything wrong with an 85 year old city council member. All I'm saying is there are a lot of benefits actually that can come from having a young energetic candidate yeah i completely completely agree with that from the people you've talked to has there kind of been either examples or some sort of common thread within those general four categories that you see primarily among people who win or people who get kind of very close that you're like i think all young people should emulate this specific thing yeah, so the one that I would say is the most universal is that work working hard aspect. So a good example would actually be the last guest I interviewed for the my podcast, The Youth Vote, is Betsy Fogel. She won a Missouri state representative seat by, I believe the number, and don't quote me on this, but I believe it was by only 76 votes. So I know it was fewer than 100 votes. She said that the way she did that was by just working every single day nonstop on the campaign. And we can make an assumption that her opponent probably wasn't doing that because her opponent is a more establishment, older, wealthier individual. So that's where I I really see a lot of these young people are successful is because they were out knocking on doors with a good, honest message. That's that first thing I talked about of be honest about who you are. Don't hide what policies you support, especially because progressive policies statistically are, are the most popular, like a majority of Americans support a reduced cost in college, a majority of Americans report, uh, support raising the minimum wage and free healthcare, just statistically, like when we poll Americans, that's the case. So we should run these policies very openly and honestly because people like them. Um, again, though, it just takes really, really hard work to put your face and put those policies in front of a voter. Yeah, I think that's a, I think it's a good point. Is that a lot of kind of what the money and resources someone pours into a race is for someone else or something else to carry the burden. But you can always kind of make up that burden on your own. And it's probably not an equitable thing, but but it's kind of the reality that I guess we exist in um, and is kind of worth considering in that sense. So besides the fact of just having to work your ass off, and I completely agree with you on the campaigns that I saw, everyone is working their ass off pretty much all the time, whether it's just even if minute stuff like call banking, which is just not fun, 
but uh, I think as a lot of people attest is, is very important. Um, what is the hardest part, um, primarily on the macro level, of running this kind of grassroots, hard nose campaign where you don't have a ton of endorsements, you don't have a lot of organization and backers backing you? What is kind of like the, the most macro challenge that that campaigner will face? I'm trying to think of what like the hardest part. There's a few hard parts that I, again, are pretty universal. One of the major things that's super tough is just how hard it is to raise money as a young person, particularly if you don't really have a big network already in the community. So if you're somebody who's running in your college town and you're not super plugged in yet, it can be really tough because running Facebook ads, asking people for money only works to a certain extent. And mm. Twitter kind of popularity only gets you so much money. It's really easy to retweet a tweet, but it's hard to actually pull out your credit card. So I think raising money is one of the toughest things. It's not something that kills a campaign because like when I was working in campaigns, we would sometimes run a campaign where from beginning to end, we spent less than like $2,000. And that's a campaign usually goes for about nine months to 11 months of the year. I mean, it's a long, long period of time. So it's mm -hmm. possible but yeah, I would say raising money is definitely one of the hardest things. Yeah, and, and that makes sense. Especially if you're kind of running a campaign that's designed for younger, more progressive people who don't have unlimited amounts of money to shell out for campaigns. It's kind of, I guess, this double-sided issue there, at least. If I could just say one more thing, I think that everyone needs to know. So you and I both talked about, you really have to work your ass off and just constantly be going that gets really draining and it mm -hmm. sounds wonderful. And I think people even kind of glorify it, especially in these like kind of political nerd communities like you <laughs> and I, and people are like, oh, I spent 18 straight days knocking on doors. And <laughs> really that's not good for you. So I would just say be cautious about overworking yourself and having burnout at the very end of the campaign. Because in reality, the last month of your campaign, like the month of October generally, um, if you're running in a general, that needs to be where you were going like 100%. So just one quick example is I was working for a campaign in Norwood, Ohio, and the candidate asked if I would do door knocking. And this was while I was in college in my undergrad. And so I drove from my college town to Norwood, Ohio. And from Friday to Sunday, I walked 40,000 steps just doing that. And to some of you, you're like, oh, I'm a runner or whatever. Like, that's not that bad. But for somebody that's not in wonderful shape. I'm not the kind of dude who's like ripped and works out. I'm just a campaign nerd. That crushed me. And I'm talking about like, you get home Sunday and then you do all your homework, or whatever. You wake up Monday and you feel dead. So just be prepared. Anybody who's going to work for a local campaign or run a local campaign, it takes a lot of like physical effort. Like you're going to physically exhaust yourself to an extent. And so you just need to pace yourself so that you don't burn yourself out later on in the campaign. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And I think we saw this somewhat in the in everyone who's kind of converging on the Georgia runoffs is that some people were just posting an absurd amount of call banking hours and kudos to you who's ever out there because it does it does have a massive burnout effect. But I think it's important that you point out that sometimes you just need to to scale it back a little bit and pace yourself so you're successful in the long run. So kind of transitioning there away from the individual campaigns to the transformation of campaigns in general. Because I agree with you, I'm a political nerd, so are you, and we're kind of students of what's going on in shifts in campaigns over time. The first thing I'll kind of go to 
is that within the Democratic Party specifically, and this is somewhat anecdotal and somewhat statistical, endorsements from larger establishment Democrats are usually the key sign for a lot of down ballot races, right? You have kind of either your congressman, if you're in a Democratic district or a high state representative endorse you or the local kind of Democratic Party chapter. And all of a sudden you're kind of at this advantage. And as we know, there's this kind of schism among progressives and establishment figures in the Democratic Party. And progressives are often the ones not getting these large endorsements, winning nonetheless, but kind of not having that initial boost. So how does progressive campaign go about that? And then what are your overall thoughts on that kind of endorsement practice? Yeah, so I'll handle that kind of the two questions you asked. So how does a progressive handle that? I would say, cut your losses. And what I mean by that is if it becomes really, really clear that you're not going to be the person who's going to put out the piece of mail that says, look at all these names of people you recognize who support me, then just don't waste all your time chasing those endorsements because while they matter, they're not actually, I think in most cases, especially in local state level stuff, they're not that important. Like I'm not necessarily going to vote differently because my county auditor said that they support somebody for, for like state representative, right? So it's just, I would say cut your losses, focus on endorsements of community leaders rather than elected officials. So, you know, I remember Anton Krieger again, it was a great, just, he's just a great case study of like a good progressive campaign. He had teachers endorsing him, people who have been teaching in a local school district for 40 years. He had church leaders he had individuals who were just well-connected in charity groups in the community. So you can kind of focus away from those big name political figures and look at like community figures that people really respect. As for your other question of what do I think about that practice? I think voting because someone endorsed a candidate is a pretty bad reason to vote for them. And that, that sounds crass, but it's just true. Like just because your congressman or, or your congresswoman or, or, or just whoever supports this local candidate, like, why does that really matter? Does that make the candidate qualified? Or does it mean that they were the one who is just lucky enough to be well connected with the establishment? In which case, you can also then ask, am I thrilled about what this congressperson is doing? Like, if these people are all endorsing them, does that mean that the person who's being endorsed is probably someone who's not going to fight for a lot of change? So you always have to be skeptical, like, why does the establishment support them? Oftentimes, I think the establishment figures will support the candidate who they think is the least controversial. And being least controversial is in no way, shape or form a good thing, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. This is just something I guess I noticed working on campaign is that oftentimes you'll kind of, when someone does pick, pick up when you're call banking, they'll be like, you know what, I just vote Democratic down the line or something like that. And then often... You know, when it's Democratic down the line, you know, uh, the state party or whatever local chapter party will be like, here, here's all the people we support. And then, it's you know, it's somewhat challenging to kind of get your name out there beyond just the political nerds and other progressives who are kind of already not too happy with the Democratic Party or something like that. Yeah, that's definitely true. And the power of local parties should not be understated. So, like, if you're running in a small city or town in which there's not a lot of state or national attention on your small city or town. Oftentimes it's people who have been in office for decades, have been involved in the party system for decades, who are gonna be really running things. And my friend, Philip and I, he's the one who I ran the political consulting firm with. We talked about this as like little micro party machines. 
So in the city where we were raised, it was the Republicans dominate that city. And so they were really a machine. They were kind of like a little gang. And what they would do is they would set up and say, okay, we're going to have the state representative resign a year before their term's over because then the party gets to appoint the next state rep representative. We're going to appoint somebody who's on the city council. So then what we can do is appoint somebody to the city council. And so what they do is they have kind of a system in which like you just work for the party until you're next in line. And then you're appointed to these positions, which by the way, for anyone who thinks like, oh, it's not a big deal. Those are positions in which our tax dollars are giving people health care and our tax dollars are paying for people's salaries, these Republicans. And this happens, mind you, Democrats do this as well. Yeah, sorry, I realize I kind of went on a tangent there, but I really hate these super uber powerful local parties. No, I, I think it's fair, um, especially as someone who has run progressive campaigns. And that's kind of what I was alluding to a little bit is that the local parties do have a lot of influence and control. But I think, as you mentioned a little bit earlier, one thing that's kind of put a dent in that is the ability to disseminate grassroots information and movements very quickly, not through party channels. And social media and the internet and kind of all of that are the main actors that do that. But how in general have you seen campaigns evolve, primarily just as a student of campaigns or even among campaign to campaign given the ability to do a lot independent of organizations that would have to have provided resources before social media or the internet or something like that. Yeah. So I'll talk about Facebook again, because it's such a fascinating example. And Facebook really had this interesting thing where their political influence on local and state level campaigns jumped up. And now they're kind of pulling it back because people are freaked out by what they can do. And so I'll give a really good example. On Facebook, when I was running campaigns in 2017, I could take a, an Excel spreadsheet and put it into Facebook. And that spreadsheet has people's names and addresses who live in the community. So if I'm running a campaign in Cincinnati, Ohio, I could put in a, an Excel spreadsheet with 30,000 people's names, Facebook will accept it. So then what happens is I can put in an advertisement and say, Facebook, I want you to just advertise to individuals who are on this list. And with 30,000 people, it might not sound as scary, but what's really freaky is that you can make that list as small as you want. So I could be running an advertisement to 12 people and then run a different advertisement to another 45 people. And the mm. kind of issue that comes with this is I could be a Republican to you and a Democrat to your neighbor all through Facebook. And when I say I could, I did never do this, right? I think that's quite unethical. I just think it's a great example, though, of the internet age really changed how you could campaign and that you could really be even more two-faced than perhaps politicians had been in the past. Now, though, since all of the kind of 2016 to 2020 chaos that involved Facebook and campaigning, they're really pulling back and they require that you verify information and they have a lot more of a process in order to put information out. But even still, Facebook is basically like, unless you are literally threatening to kill people, Facebook will not take your information down. So they're not doing a good job of regulating that political advertising market. But um, anyways, yeah, again, I, I, I went on a tangent, but I just think that's such a fascinating example of where like campaigning went from you just send out mail to people to you can target individual households with unique ads made for them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, 
this is where like the internet radicalization argument can be taken to a logical extreme and hopefully we'll get an episode on that at some other point in the future but i completely agree with you is that i guess it's both a blessing and a curse social media in this way and a lot of whether it's social dilemma or a lot of other kind of modern documentaries have pointed this out is that when you advertise politically through social media it's just tailored is kind of what it is and that's good and bad for you basically from a day to day it can flip and for progressives right you can kind of target these select audiences to build a coalition and for a lot of people that there was kind of that barrier initially when there was even greater control by party politicians than there is now again the flip side is that you can basically be just come a conniving no one who builds a coalition and take office and no one really anywhere likes that yeah like it's it's such an interesting thing because especially i think as young progressives we have to be aware of the positive impact that social media has had on our existence and a great example is bernie sanders or aoc those are individuals who utilize social media in order to fund their campaigns and it's not just the bernies and the aocs but it's also people who are running for their local mayor seat you know it's so much easier to donate that way rather than going through the mail or going to an actual physical fundraiser it's you know i can click on a twitter ad and that takes me to where i just put in my money on act blue and then all of a sudden the candidate has my money so there's like a lot of pros and a lot of cons to it. It's it's really tough to gauge, like if you had to weigh it, like does it do more good than bad? But I do think that to answer your original question, the big change that we're going to see is that campaigns are going to just become more and more and more digital. But I also think that the funding will become more and more digital, which takes the power away from some of these bigger businesses and away from these big companies that for a long time really held back the Democratic Party because you know, individuals would say they were progressives, but then you're taking money from like BP or Walmart or Amazon or whoever. And, you know, you have to question someone's motives. Now those individuals who want to be progressives can just say kind of like, go away, Amazon. I don't need your money now. Like I have a bunch of uh, 19 year olds on Twitter who gave me 20 bucks each (laughs) and that's just the same. You know what I mean? So it's like, rather than being dependent on big businesses, they're going to be dependent on us which means that like we fund their campaigns. So they have to do what we want them to do, which is kind of the way it's supposed to work. So that's something I'm excited about for the future. Yeah, I would agree. And I think 2020 has been this microcosm of running massive campaigns, basically online and digitally. And it worked in a lot of ways. Like people found out that this can work. That said, what you said earlier, I think still holds true is that in the post COVID world, There's nothing like individual campaigning and talking to constituents in any given district. And that's really, I think, where you'll derive a lot of campaign power and influence. Because digitally, in the same way that campaigners can kind of disseminate and control their coalition, coalitions can control the the candidate as well. And I think if you just talk and see through dialogue where people are, it's it's one of the most powerful things you can do. Yeah, for sure. Like there, nothing beats knocking on someone's door and having a conversation with them about what they think their local government should do for them. And then explaining to them that you agree with them. And here's, you know, what you plan to do in the future. It's just, there's, there's just nothing like more intimate could happen in a political campaign, call a text a tweet. It's never the same Mm. as a face-to-face conversation. So I, I totally agree with you there, Jared. Yeah. So I guess at the end of the day, our advice is go join a campaign and go kind of get in the weeds for yourself because I think it's a really valuable experience. 
if I could just add one thing to that advice, it would be, so I definitely agree, go join a campaign and get involved. I would also say, if you're bold enough and maybe stupid enough, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a crazy <laughs> idea. Just run yourself. Mm. And I don't mean to minimize that and make it seem like it's an easy thing because it's not. But if you're in a position in which you can dedicate the time and you can gather a group of people who will help you, please run for office because just getting enough young people in office now into their local offices will mean that 10 years from now, we have a ton of people who are in their early 30s who have served in local office and who are progressives who are now primed to run for Congress, governors, senators, president, whatever. So the way to do that in 10 years is we all need to start running for our local stuff right now. So that's all. I, I just wanted to add that. I try to mention that in like any conversation I have because, and eventually I'll do it. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I promise I'll run eventually too. Like, I'm not just saying you guys do it. It's just, we, we just, yeah, we all need to run for office, I think. And then we can, you know, take some power away from the bad, the bad guys. <laughs> yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think there's some people who are already stepping out there and showing that you can do it. Isaac, thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Jared. Thank you for listening to this episode of Contested. If you like what you heard, please visit our website at contestedpolitics.com and subscribe to our podcast on all major platforms. I know we've been away for a few weeks and that's completely my fault, but we have some really exciting content planned going forward, including some new episode formats that are going to feature some of the current events going on, because right now is truly an unprecedented political time, and the next month is only going to get even crazier. So stay tuned for what we have coming for that. I want to give a big shout out to Isaac Goff Mitchell for coming on. The Youth Vote is an amazing podcast. I'll be on there in a few months. So stay tuned and subscribe to his podcast as well. It's linked below. As always, thanks for to Adam for doing the editing, Catherine on social media, and for all of you for helping us understand politics together. <laughs>